Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're, of course, continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. We're now at the place right toward the end, really. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying as the king of the Jews. In fact, he's dying for the sins of all mankind. We see the suffering servant of Jehovah who takes the sin of mankind. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to see the first of seven statements by Jesus as he's on the cross. And he cries to the Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And so we're going to spend some time this morning looking at forgiveness. And I want you to understand something in the very beginning. Forgiveness of sin is different than payment for sin, and we'll see it as we go through it. So it's going to be a great morning as we look at Matthew 27. Actually, the passage will start about uh, Matthew 27, verse 27. And, and go through about verse 35. We'll also go to, to the Gospel of Luke as well. Well, one of the questions that people, that I could ask that we already know the answer, and that is, have you ever done wrong? Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever hurt somebody? And of course, the answer is yes, and we've all done wrong. And because of that, because of our sin, the fact that we've done wrong is sometimes we need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And when we think about forgiveness, forgiveness is not only vital in our relationship with fellow believers and fellow people, but it's also uh, vital in our relationship with our great God and Savior. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. So we want to look at forgiveness in our passage this morning because that's what Jesus says. Let me remind you some things about forgiveness. First of all, we must realize that we need forgiveness. And a lot of people say, I don't know what you're talking about. We'll talk about it as we look through it. Realize that forgiveness from God comes by faith. And we'll highlight that more later as we go through it. And that forgiveness is in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we look at our passage this morning, and we'll go to different places, of course, to see it, Jesus' first statement, <coughs> excuse me, his first statement on the cross is to forgive them that they don't know what they're doing. Well, we're, we, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, verse by verse, passage by passage. We're now toward the end, Matthew chapter 27. We're seeing the details of the crucifixion. And here's what's a, a great thing about it. Uh, Matthew does not go to any, hardly any details on the crucifixion. I know people have taught times in the past and they want to give all the gruesome things about what it was like. Matthew doesn't do that. In fact, most of the gospel writers don't give the details of what it was. We know this, the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and the sit down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus went to the cross for us and we're going to talk about it as we go through it. Let's remember where we are. Jesus got arrested. He was tried six times, three times before the Jews first, and you've seen this many times, but Annas, who was the father-in-law, was found guilty. Caiaphas, this trial was at night as well, found guilty. And then before the Sanhedrin in the morning, found guilty. So before the Jews, he was found guilty, all of the Son of God. Then before the Romans, he went to Pilate first, then over to Herod, and then back to Pilate. He was found not guilty all of the three times. And of course, they were claiming that he was king of the Jews there. And so Pilate said, I find nothing wrong with him here did the same thing. And then when the, the, the mess, it, it all began to be a mess because Pilate made a mistake and said, listen, there's a, a tradition I have I'll release to you one, one prisoner you want me to release. Because he thought they would automatically release Jesus. And there was a bad guy by the name of Barabbas. And so he said, do you want me to release Barabbas or Jesus? And the crowd, the religious leaders that stirred up the crowd to say Barabbas. And the Pilate went, wait a minute, what, what evil has Jesus done? And so they started shouting. And so Pilate actually took a, a bowl and washed his hands in front of them saying, I have nothing to do with this. That was a Jewish custom, by the way. We saw that last week. And so now Jesus <clears throat> is going to go to the cross. As we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see two big things. We're going to see, first of all, he's taken before the soldiers. He's going to be mocked, 
by the soldiers. This is the Roman soldiers. He's already been made fun of and hit and beaten up by the Jews, and now he's going to be uh, mocked by the soldiers, and then they're going to take him to the cross, to, the, to uh, the crucifixion, and we'll see how that ends out. Now, as we start, I want to show you something. We're going to see that Jesus made seven last statements, the seven last statements of Jesus on the cross. They're all famous in that sense, and let me give them to you. Here's the first one. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's in Luke. And then he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's also in Luke, and he talks to uh, one of the thieves on the cross. And then he says to his mother, behold their son. That's where Jesus uh, turns his mother over to John. And then in Matthew, we'll see this in a, in a week or two, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's an incredible passage because Jesus is separated from the Father as he pays for sin. We'll see that one. Then he says, I thirst. And we say, well, why did he say that? I think we're going to see he said, I thirst so he could get something so he could make the next statement. And the next statement in John 19.30 is, it is finished. We'll see that as we go through it. That's where Jesus has paid for sin. It is finished. He's done it all. And then he ends it all by saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I want you to notice something. When Jesus is out of fellowship with God, taking the sin of mankind, and number four, he says, my God, my God. When Jesus is back in the fellowship and is about to die physically, he says, Father, into the hands I commit my spirit. And so it's really, really powerful. So let's, let's see what happens first. We're going to see Jesus, the mocking before the soldiers. And that's Matthew, of course, 27, beginning at verse 27. Notice what it says. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort cohort around him. So they took him into the praetorium, which was it, the fortress of Antonio. And let me just show you this map. We've seen this a number of times. But when Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane, he was taken all all these different places, Caiaphas. He's been to, to Herod's place. He's been to the Temple Mount. Now he's been at now at the fortress of Antonio. That's where Pilate met with him. And there's also a garrison there. And it says here that the soldiers of the governor took him in the Praetorium. The Praetorium is a, is a place that the governor stayed. Sometimes the, uh, Governor Pilate's place was actually in Caesarea, which is by the sea. But he's here for the feast days. And so a cohort was like 600 people. Now whether all 600 soldiers were there. We don't, we don't know that, but we know a bunch of soldiers gathered around Jesus, and they're going to make fun of him. And if you notice in verse 28, it says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They, they're making fun of him. Now, Jesus is a king, but he doesn't look like a king. Let me show you something. He's king of the Jews, but normally kings are served, but he came to serve. Normally kings are wealthy, but he had nothing. Normally kings are honored, but he was humbled. And normally kings live for self. Jesus is going to die for others. So he is the greatest king of all, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the savior of the world. So look what happens in verse 28. It says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Now, people say, was that the robe that that Herod uh, sent to, to Pilate, most likely not. A scarlet robe was probably one of those shorter robes that the Roman soldiers wore. If you remember seeing some of the movies and some of the pictures, they usually had a, a kind of a scarlet, uh, purple-type robe. And so they probably took one of their robes and put it on him to make fun of him. And then uh, notice, it, it goes on to say, and after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Well, they took, there are, there, there are these certain thorns that grow out in that area, and they're really, if you've ever seen something like that, they're really long, and so they put them all together, and then they put them on his head. So you know when they put them on his head, they just dug into his scalp and blood and everything else, and then they had this reed, and um, uh, which is like a, a staff, and they're going to say, Oh, yeah, you're a king, so do this. And I want you to think about the crown. There are two Greek words for crown. 
crown. One is the word Stephanos, which means a victory crown. It's like if you won a race and they gave you a crown to put on your head, that was a Stephanos. The other is diadem. We get diadem, which is like what a king would wear. The word for crown here, when it says and they put this crown of thorns on his head, it's Stephanos. It's a victory crown. And what Jesus is doing, and I think what we're seeing, is that he's gaining the victory for us. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to pay for sin. He's going to die and rise again, and he will be the victor and the conqueror. And when he comes the second time, now remember, the first time Jesus came, he came to die. The first time he came, he wore a Stephanos crown. When he comes the second time, Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, uh, where he's coming, and on his head are many crowns. The word for crown there is diadem. He's coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what they did is they twisted together the crown of thorns. They put it on his head, a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And and so they did all this, and they spit on him. They took the reed. They began to beat him. I put, I found some pictures. I don't like to even look at them, but that's some people say that, you know, he's already been beaten and everything, and so they're making fun of him, and they're hitting him on the head, the crown of thorns. And then there's another picture where they're bowing down before him, making fun of him. Uh, and, and we know this isn't Jesus, and we know, but this just to give you an idea of what it was like these are soldiers and they're making fun of him and they're you know they're just doing that and the truth is this one day every knee will bow and every tongue will proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Lord so every knee will bow look again at verse 30 they they spat on him and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head now by the way all of this is fulfilling prophecies if you remember Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6 talking about the Messiah he said I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting this is just all foreshadows of what is going to happen to our Messiah we're going to see in the next couple of weeks if you if you get a chance this week read Psalm 22 the reason I'm telling you that is because you're going to be amazed Psalm 22 was written by King David a thousand years before Jesus was ever born. And the things in Psalm 22 basically tell us what happened to Jesus on the cross. And we'll see that. I'll mention it more at the very end. So you remember this next week coming up, begin reading Psalm 22 as well. Well, they spat on him. They took the reed. They began to beat him on the head. And then it goes, says, and after they mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him. They took it back and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. So after they made fun of him, beat him, hit him, blood, you know, there's just no telling what it looks like. In fact, we're going to see in just a little bit that the, the book of Isaiah says that you, you couldn't recognize his face. And so they led him away to crucify him. We're going to talk about crucifixion, but I want you to understand something. When they led him out of the praetorium, they most likely went out the sheep gate. So the sheep gate is going to be the gate that they go out by, it's by the temple, and then go around to what we call Golgotha, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But the sheep gate, this is where the sacrifices came in and out of the temple. Now think about Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our Lamb going to the sacrifice. So they take him out of the sheep gate, and they're making fun of him, and they're going to crucify him. It says they led him away to crucify him. Let's talk about crucifixion for just a second. The first people to ever crucify and were the... The, uh, <clears throat> the Persians, and what they did is they took a pole and they sharpened the pole, and then they took a person and they stabbed them through the pole, and so they were just stuck on a pole. That was how they did it. Romans decided to change. When they came, 
they said, that happens too fast. They're dead too fast. So the Romans would take people, they'd put them up on the cross, uh, they'd nail and tie, sometimes they'd tie hands, sometimes they'd nail them, and they left them there. And we know that the ultimate uh, way that people died on, in crucifixion was they finally suffocated. Uh, Romans would never, they could not, they did not crucify Roman citizens. But they could crucify non-Roman citizens. That's why when Peter and Paul died, the rumors, the traditions say that Peter was crucified upside down. He was not a Roman citizen. He was crucified. But the rumors and the legends that Paul had his head cut off because Paul was a Roman citizen. So that's just some things to think about. And so they've taken Jesus out, and they're going to crucify him. In the middle, uh, middle of this base, that, uh, in the middle of the cross, there was this base thing down at the bottom where they put their feet on it. And uh, Jesus already said, he already told them way beforehand that he'd be crucified. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And they understood that. Let me, let me show you. I, I don't like to go into the details on pictures, but if you notice, this is, this is Jesus on the cross. Of course, it's not really him, but... If you notice, they've got nails in the hands, and they're down like this. And what happens is there's a little place down here where they could put their feet. They nail their feet together, and there's a place you could put your feet. And so you were able to push yourself up a little bit, but as time went by, you just you just couldn't do it anymore. And eventually, you sunk down enough that... Uh, that you were you suffocated. Here's another picture. Some people always say they put it through his hands. Most most think that it was actually through the wrist. Now they would say that's a hand, but it goes through the wrist so that it wouldn't tear out. If it was in a hand, it would probably tear out. I read all kind of things about how they did it. Sometimes they actually took rope and tied their hands and even even put the nail through, but they put rope there. Now this is a terrible thing. And when you think about crucifixion, it says that that that, that Jesus suffered. There's no doubt he suffered. They were shamed. There's a tradition that they were crucified with no clothes on. We don't know. We don't know. It, it, we don't know whether the Romans, uh, in in just some kind of good way, decided, okay, we're not going to do that. We know that when Jesus gets there, they then take his clothing, and each person they they cast lots for his clothing. So it could be that he had no clothes on. I, I really wish. I hope he didn't. I hope he did have clothes on. And uh, and then in the Philippians says this is the lowest stage of humility because it said he became a human being, humbled himself to death, even the death on the cross. So when we think about Jesus on the cross, I mean it is a horrible thing. Usually with each person being crucified, there were four soldiers. So when a person was being taken out to be crucified, there were a group of four soldiers with them. They were responsible for carrying their own cross. They got out there. Most people think that the, the 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 big wooden part, the big base part was already out there and that they would just carry the part that, that they're nailed to. That, some people say that. We just don't know. Uh, we don't have a lot of the information. Now, I want you to picture this. <clears throat> it says, verse 32, they came, as they, and they were coming out, they found this man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Now, we get a glimpse of the pain and suffering. He's had no sleep. He's had six trials. He's been beaten and scourged, and then he's been beaten and made fun of again. Isaiah says he can't recognize his face, and so when he came out, he may not physically have been able to carry it, and so they found this man named Cyrene, uh, from, from, uh, a man from Cyrene. His name was Simon. Cyrene is northern Africa, and, and uh, if you look at some of the other gospels, he's, he's a well-known person. 
And uh, in fact, I'll show you next week or the week after that how they, how they know who this guy is. Uh, he has kids that they said that he was the father of, and they list that. So here's this man named Simon, and he's the one that helps carry the cross. And by the way, you say, well, could they just go up to somebody and say, hey, carry this cross? Yes, Roman soldiers, there was a law that said that a Roman soldier could make you carry anything for one mile, for one mile. In fact, it's found in Matthew 5.41, where Jesus says, if they asked you to carry it for a mile, carry it too. He says, go beyond what they asked you. So they could, they could command this guy, you carry this cross, and so he did. So best we can tell, Jesus was no longer able to carry the cross. Now look down at verse 33. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. Now, let's, let's look at this. It says they came to a place called Golgotha. Now, we all know this, and people say, oh, Golgotha. That's an Aramaic word, and it means skull. So it actually says they came to the skull. And a lot of people say, Golgotha means skull? Yes, okay. Think about this. We've, we've all heard of uh, the Greek word for skull is cranium. It's the one we use. We say, Ukrainian, that's the Greek word for skull. So, Galgotha is an Aramaic word for skull. Cranium is a Greek word for skull. And there's a Latin word, which you have heard of. It's called clava, which we get, uh, calva, which we get the word Calvary from. When you've I've heard people say, Jesus died on the cross at Calvary, and they don't realize they're saying, Jesus died on the cross of the skull. Because that's what it is. It was the place of the skull. And so they've taken Jesus out to the place. And we already know there's two other people with him, two other robbers. They're going to all be crucified together. And so here's the question is, why was it called Golgotha? Well, we don't know for sure. But some say that maybe that was a place that many people had died there because uh, that was a, a place they crucified a lot of people, and so a lot of skulls, a lot of heads. They just said that. Also, there was a legend that when King David killed Goliath, before he was a king, of course, and he hit Goliath in the head, and he cut Goliath's head off. Tradition has, he brought the head back to Jerusalem and buried it there. So some people say it's called the place of the skull because that's where Goliath's head was buried. The other thing is that it looks like a skull. I went to Israel in 19, about 1978, 76, 77, 78. I went to Israel, and they tell us that there's a place that they call Galgotha, and you can go to it. There's a bus station like right there, and then right across, basically all across the street is a place that everybody calls Galgotha. If you stand at a certain view, it looks like a skull. There's like two places for a head, kind of a nose, and then a mouth. And so some people say it was called the place of the skull because it looked like a skull. We just don't know, but we know it was called Galgotha, and it was the, the place of the skull. All of this now is going to fulfill prophecy. Look at verse 34 again. They gave him wine to drink, mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. Now, I want you to show you this. This is Psalm 69, 21. It says, they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, I want you to notice something. The very first thing it says, they gave me gall for my food. He wouldn't drink this. This was at the very start. Then most times they'd get there and they'd put gall in some cheap wine, and they would drink it, and it would help them. It would like deaden the pain. He wouldn't take that. Later toward the end, do you remember when he says, I thirst? They bring him vinegar to drink. And so Psalm 69, 21 says, they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. And so this is just fulfillments. Now, as we continue on, and this is, this is where we are, we'll come back to verse 35 in just a second. We're going to see the first statement from the cross. Now, I want to remind you that here's the first one. 
Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. That's Luke 23. We're fishing to go there. He's also going to say a little bit later, today you'll be with me in paradise. He talks to one of the thieves on the cross who believes in him, and that's what Jesus says. And as, as the weeks come by, the next two to three weeks, we're going to see all seven statements. So what I want you to do is turn, just hold your place if you want to, and turn to Luke chapter 23. Just kind of flip over there. Luke chapter 23. And we'll see how it ties together. Luke 23, uh, and we can start at verse 34, but I'm going to go back to 33. Then they came to the place called the skull. There it is. That's Golgotha. That's Calvary. uh, That's Cranium. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And so we see that Jesus is in the middle, and you've got two criminals. The best we could tell, they're sometimes called robbers. If you remember last week, we talked about a criminal who was a robber and a murderer. His name was Barabbas. He was supposed to die. In fact, those three, Barabbas was probably supposed to be one of those three to die. And we talked last week how Jesus took his place. And they had that big choice, and they all shouted for Barabbas. So Barabbas got to go free, and Jesus is the one that got crucified. We talked last week that all of us are Barabbas. We've all sinned. We all deserve death. And somebody else took Barabbas's place. Jesus took our place. And he, Barabbas, got to live. And we, by faith in Christ, we get to have eternal life. So we'll, we'll, if you missed that, you might want to look at that from last week's message. It's really a, a powerful thing. So let's look what happened. So verse 33, again, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And so this is his first statement. And notice, notice what he says. And that Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read on, and and they'll come back to this in a second. And they were casting lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. So the very first thing that Jesus says on the cross is, Father, forgive them. Now, his first words are not about the pain. He didn't say, this is hurting bad. He didn't say anything about the nails. He didn't say about the humiliation. But his prayer, the first thing that he says is to pray for those who put him on the cross. Think about that. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you can think of those Roman soldiers. How many people had they crucified? They don't know what they're doing. They just think it's just another day. And by the way, when it's all over, and we're going to see at the very end, one of the soldiers, when Jesus gives up, when Jesus gives up his life, one of those soldiers says two things. He says, first of all, he was a righteous man. And in his second statement, this one was the Son of God. That's one of the soldiers. So right now, they don't know. And Jesus basically says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So let's talk about forgiveness. And I think that one of the key in the Bible is forgiveness of sins. And we all need forgiveness of sins. Now, this is something I want to go into detail and just for you to understand. There is a difference between payment for sin and forgiveness of sin. There's a difference between payment for sin and forgiveness of sin. Now, think back in the Old Testament. Anytime somebody sinned in the Old Testament, especially once the, the Mosaic Law came, even, even Adam and Eve, uh, the Cain and Abel, brought sacrifices dealing with sin. So there's always been aspects of covering of sin. And in the, day, uh, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, even on a special day called the Day of Atonement, they covered sin. So all throughout, from Adam and Eve all the way up to Jesus, there was no payment for sin. There was covering for sin. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he is making the satisfactory payment 
for sin. So Jesus dies on the cross. So understand that there's a difference between payment for sin and forgiveness of sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, the payment for sin has been made for the entire world. Let me remind you of 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Now you understand that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid for the sin of every human being, past, present, and future. Sin is not the issue anymore. Jesus Christ died and paid for all sin. The payment has been made. So for all human beings, we're not saying, I hope I can get the payment for sin. The payment for sin has been made. But what we need in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in order to be able to go to heaven, as we say, in order to be able to be with him, we need forgiveness of sin. And forgiveness comes by faith. See, every human being already has Payment for sin. It happened when Jesus died on the cross. But the only way you can get forgiveness of sin is by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me show you something. Here's Acts. Oh, that forgiveness of sin comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Acts 13, 38. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That means that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, not only do we get eternal life, but we receive the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again, he paid for sin and conquered death and did it all. But each human being must have forgiveness in order to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me show you what God, uh, on the road to Damascus, what Jesus actually told Paul. Here's what he said. Here's your job, Paul. You're going, he's going to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been set apart, sanctified, how? By faith in me. That's Jesus telling Paul, you go tell them that they can receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So one of the great truths of the Bible is that when Jesus died on the cross, the payment for sin has been made. I hear people say things like, you gotta, you got to really clean up your act. Look, every sin has already been paid for. That's not the issue. The issue is having an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, having eternal life that comes by faith. And the moment you believe in Jesus Christ, not only do you get eternal life, but you receive forgiveness of sins. Let me show you what Ephesians says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In Christ, we have forgiveness of sin. So the very first statement that Jesus Christ makes on the cross is forgive them. Now I want you to understand, you and I, all, each one of us, we must have forgiveness of sins if we want to have eternal life and be with Jesus Christ forever. Jesus has already died and paid for all sin. So we don't need the payment for sin. It's already happened. The payment for sin has been made, but we need forgiveness of sins, and that comes simply by faith. Go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 27, and uh, let me go back to verse 33 as you, as you turn back there. It says, and they came to the place called Golgotha, that's the place of the skull. They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and he wouldn't drink that. And then after tasting it, he said he was unwilling to drink it because he didn't want to be in a stupor. He didn't want anything to affect him. He wanted to know exactly what was going on. Now, let me just say one thing that sometimes we don't think about. Jesus is not at the mercy of these people. Jesus is going to lay down his life. He's going to take it up again. Jesus is going through this. He's not saying, oh, I don't know what I can do. I can't get off. I can't. Listen, if Jesus wanted to, he could do anything. 
And so we're going to see in the next couple of weeks that the religious leaders are coming by and the people are coming by, and they're saying, if you're really the Son of God, come down off the cross. And the truth is, Jesus could have come down off the cross. He can do anything he wants to. He's God. But he's not going to because he's dying for us. And so when it says they did all this, uh, just understand that he, this is allow, he's allowing all this because he is dying to pay for our sins and rising again to conquer death. And whoever believes has eternal life and, as we see in this passage, forgiveness of sin. So look at verse 35, and this is where we'll take up next week. It says, and when they had, uh, and when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments themselves by casting lots. Now we're going to come back to that next week. But you understand that while he's on the cross, they, they, the, the soldiers, they said, okay, we, somebody's got his shoes, somebody's got his outer coat, somebody else has got his head covering, somebody else has got this. And so they were divided it up among them. But there was one thing left that, that they didn't want to divide up, so they cast lots. And we're going to look, and if you take the time this week, go through Psalm 22, it will surprise you. I was at a meeting one time, and I said, hey, I'm going to read this to you, and tell me what you think. And I just started reading it, and it starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I read a bunch of verses, and it was Psalm 22, and I read it, and I said, who wrote this, and what's it about? And everybody there said, that's Jesus on the cross. And I said, you're right, but this is actually Psalm 22 written by King David a thousand years before Jesus was born. So if you get a chance this week, be sure and look through uh, the, uh, the Psalm 22 because you're going to see some amazing things over the next few weeks. They're going to cast lots. They're going to do all of the things just like Psalm 22 says. It goes on to say in verse 36, and sitting down, they begin to keep watch over him there. That's their job. They can't leave until he's dead. And by the way, you understand, sometimes it took days. Sometimes it took days. And then it goes on to say, and above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. As far as the Romans were concerned, he was crucified because he was king of the Jews. As far as the Jews were considered, uh, he was crucified because he was the son of God. Powerful truths. What have we seen? Jesus was taken by the soldiers, beaten and mocked. We've seen he's taken out to be crucified. Simon carries the cross And the first thing that he says is, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Let me give you some applications, and then we'll close. The first application is, let's realize that Jesus is our substitute. Think about that. He died so we don't have to die. He he died and rose again, conquering death, uh, paying for sin, so that we don't pay for sin, or that we don't be separated from God, because he's done it all. He died on the cross, the just for the unjust. They misunderstood him. They didn't understand what was going on, but he died for us. He is the Savior. He paid for our sins. So let's realize that Jesus is our substitute. I think one of the great truths of the Bible is the substitution, how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself. That's the story of the Bible, using his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus became our substitute, for God had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust. All throughout the scripture, it shows that he is our substitute dying for us. Hebrews 2.9, that he tasted death for every person. He died for us. So never take it for granted. Realize that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died in our place as our substitute. The second thing I want you to think about is let's realize that we must come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Think about that. The forgiveness of of sins. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we need we need forgiveness of sin. I want you to understand that sins have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. So none of us 
the sin debt of saying the wages of sin is death and it's death and all that, none of that is for us because Jesus has already taken it. He's already paid the penalty. But we need forgiveness. And so we can gain forgiveness of sin by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you hear us all the time. I'll say, when you trust in Jesus to give you eternal life, and you do, and there's, oh, there's so many places in the New Testament that talk about believing in him and getting eternal life. There's several places that say when you believe in him, we've already seen them this morning, that when you believe in him, you get forgiveness of sin. And so I want you to understand that it's all true. There are a lot of things that happen the moment you believe in Jesus, but for sure you get eternal life and you receive the forgiveness of sins. I hope and pray that all of you are watching, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's already died on the cross to pay for sins. And when you trust in him, not only does he give you that exact moment, eternal life, you also in that exact moment have forgiveness of sins. So we see Jesus' first statement, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing.